I'm excited about Christmas. Are you? Amen. Wow. But we're an honest group. I like that about us. We're very honest. How about those uh, Weibo stars? <laughs> I see Tori back there. I, didn't, I did get a chance to tell her, actually, that I thought she did an outstanding job singing uh, the national anthem last night, or yesterday, yesterday afternoon. As far as I know, I believe she's the only one of us who's ever sang the national anthem at Lucas Oil Stadium. Um, I'm on that list, but it's, you know, it's way down, yeah. I believe I'm on for 2,224, um, yeah. No, very good. Thank you so much, and good to see Connor here again today. And if you saw out in the lobby, um, we have some uh, cinnamon rolls. I think Titus Bakery, I think, maybe made those and donated them for the tailgate party yesterday, and I saw Tricia bring those in, and so we're still benefiting from all of the excitement from that. But I am, and I hope you are too, getting more and more excited about Christmas. It is a fantastic opportunity that, that believers in Jesus have still this day in front of an entire secular audience uh, to proclaim our Savior's birth. And, uh, and that's fantastic. And I'm glad that Christmas carols are played over sound systems and in shopping centers and on our car radios. And, and uh, even Christmas carolers sometimes will still go around and sing those. It's time to get out, if you haven't already done so, your Christmas decorations. Ours are still safely tucked away in the attic. But uh, at some point, I'll be getting those down. And one of my favorite traditions is to get out our manger scene and set it up. Now, it's not made of porcelain, and it's not made of, you know, crystal or anything like that. It's not, uh, uh, you know, those little wooden figurines uh, that are so popular. Uh, mine is one that my grandmother bought when I was just a, a toddler and, uh, and put up in her home, and uh, I would play with it. <laughs> and these animals are, um, many of them have had horns chewed off, uh, legs, tails broken off. Every one of them originally was on a little platform so that it would be self-standing. A lot of those have been broken off. So I, I literally will take, like, I've got one wise man that I lean and just lean up against the thing like this. But I wouldn't take a million dollars for it. Um, my wife would give a million dollars if you'd take it out to the trash, probably. But <laughs> I'm sentimental to the core. And I love our manger scenes, you know. I love the tradition behind them. You know, it, it, I could totally ruin Christmas for you by telling you how theologically incorrect some of it is. Uh, that, w that we do, but, but it's wonderful to be able to set, uh, set those up each, each year. Oh, holy night. That first manger scene, the one that inspired it all, um, was not such a peaceful night. The story, in, in its accuracy, is about a teenage girl, probably 14 years old somewhere, give or take, who is great with child. She's nine months pregnant. She's betrothed to a young man that she's not married to yet, Joseph. And although she has received an angelic messenger that's come to her and told her about this Christ child, that he would be conceived of the Holy Spirit, and although Joseph had, this, had a similar angelic uh, visitation in which he was told, go ahead, take Mary as your wife, do not 
uh, put her away, keep her with you, because that which she is, is carrying is, has been conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. And, and although they had these angelic visitations, although Mary had been to visit her relative Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, who was further along in her pregnancy, early, along, early uh, on, uh, Mary visits her, and John the Baptist leaps within his mother's womb, and Elizabeth says, oh, the child within you is very special. They had all of the, the prophecies of the Old Testament that predicted that Jesus was going to be born hundreds and hundreds of years prior. But I got to tell you, if you're Mary and Joseph, and you're Mary nine months pregnant, and you're riding on a donkey, and you're heading all the way to Bethlehem because of some bureaucracy that says every man must return to the town of his birth and take with him his family and register for the census, this is not a, a happy moment in your life. They traveled some uh, 80 to 120 miles, again, nine months pregnant, riding on a donkey. The scorn of, the, of all of your neighbors who did not have an angelic visitation telling them that this child of you that you're carrying is a special child that has been conceived of the Holy Spirit and, and you're looked down upon and people are misunderstanding what's going on and and now you're far from home. And when you arrive to the town of Bethlehem, by the way, the, the name Bethlehem means house of bread, and Jesus is the bread of life. As they arrive there in Bethlehem, and they come to that inn, that famous story, no room in the inn for Jesus. These were very busy times. If you've ever tried to drive through Speedway, during the month of May, on race weekend, Indy 500 weekend, you know, that's kind of what I picture. Just a, a huge, crowded community, overtaxed by all of those who have been forced to come back to town for this census. Uh, my wife and I grew up in the southern Indiana, Louisville, Kentucky area, and in the month of May, we had Derby weekend and tried to get a motel anywhere within 100 miles of Louisville on, on Derby weekend, and, and that's what this was like. And here Mary is, great with child, there's no room in the inn for them. And so where do they end up? They end up in the stable. And you think about it, in their time period when you're traveling, they didn't travel by air or by train or by bus. They weren't traveling in one of these nice, you know, station wagon, SUV, all-purpose kind of vehicles with the nice little topper on the top, you know, over the river and through the woods to grandma's house kind of travel. Uh, people had to take their animals with them, their livestock with them uh, for food and for uh, just taking care of them and, and for worship purposes and other things. So you come to this inn, and when you come, you check all of your creatures in at the stable. It was smelly. The animals smelled like animals. The manure smelled like manure. I don't know what kind of Middle Eastern flies they, they would have had during that time period, but there were probably flies. It was noisy. It was less than hospitable. And there, at that first manger scene, your Savior and mine, the creator of the universe arrived from heaven to earth in the form of a baby, born to a poor family, somewhat obscure, but with a royal lineage tracing back to David, King David, uh, his earthly father Joseph could trace his lineage back. Here is Jesus, God with us, 
Emmanuel, born here on earth. You think of that first, that first night in the midst of all of the chaos and the craziness and shepherds arriving and this baby is born wrapped up tightly in swaddling clothes, <laughs> placed in his mom's arms. There was probably a lot of uncertainty that night, a lot of fatigue. The ladies imagine going 120 miles on a donkey and then going through childbirth. <laughs> this was the old holy night. But the next morning, a new day dawned. I'd love to know more about that next morning, wouldn't you? When the sun comes up and there is Jesus, the Savior. The, end, the angels have come, the shepherds have come, the announcements have been made. People are praising this child. Mary's treasuring all of this up in her heart. A new day has dawned. Are you like me? Do you, do you find just incredible hope in the dawning of a new day? Isn't that interesting? I mean, at night, things can seem so hopeless. If you've ever sat around the kitchen table uh, around midnight or later, and, and you're fretting over something that's gone on, a late-night phone call, a child who is having problems in another state somewhere, perhaps an adult child or your grandkids, or, or, or there's financial problems, or, or you're not sure whether or not you're going to be able to keep your job going into the new year, all of these type of things that plague us and that we worry about, the things that, you know, we talked about, you wear a mask sometimes on Sunday morning, pretend like everything's okay, but at home you know it's not, and you fret and you worry. Things always seem worse in the dark of night. I've often said Satan works third shift. <laughs> oh, make no mistake, he's on 24-7, but he is really on top of his game in the middle of the night. I can go to bed, I can fall asleep exhausted, sometimes involuntarily. I, I, I told a family member the other day, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I come home, I'm so tired. Sometimes I go down like a jet airliner with no landing gear. And wherever I land, I fall asleep. <laughs> I wake up, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, and now suddenly I'm all bright-eyed. <laughs> now I can't sleep. And Satan can really go to work on you. I mean, he can work you over, and you can build something up into all kinds of fear and worry and wearisomeness. And then... You finally do fall asleep again. And when you wake up in the dawn of a new day, <laughs> the sun is rising. And suddenly it's hard to articulate to your loved ones what you were so worried about in the middle of the night. Oh, the, the problems are still there. They maybe haven't gone away. And there is a, a realistic concern. But it's no longer devastation and hopelessness. You know, here's the thing, the thrill of hope comes in one new day with Jesus Christ. Give me one new day with Jesus and you will give me a thrill of hope. I love that line in the lyrics of O Holy Night. And we're going to camp out there a little bit in the, in the heart of this message and talk about that thrill of hope that comes with a new day dawning. Give me one day with Jesus. But it's up to us to hold on to that hope with everything that we have till the new day dawns. Get through that night. Get through the chaos. Get through the wearisome. Oh, weary world, that song says. The weary world is anticipating and in need of hope. So many people give up hope because they can't see tomorrow. 
They can't see the hope, the dawning of a new day. And they don't know Jesus in a very real way. They know of him as a character in history. They know of him as a, a figure in children's Bible story books. But they don't really know him. And if they only knew him, and if they could only trust that in the darkness of night, a new day is dawning, they would have hope. I think that's what's so tragic about so many people that give up and make radical decisions that will go with them forever and affect everyone who loves them because they could not get through the night. They could not see the new day dawning. But I tell you, there is a new day dawning. And at Christmas time, of all times of the year, in the midst of whatever uh, you know, wearisome things you're dealing with, whatever darkness of night that you find yourself in, whatever chaos, if you find yourself in, in, in the barn with all of the animals and surrounded by the manure, you know, manure happens and it's all around you and you find yourself wondering, is there any hope? I want you to know there is. Hold on till tomorrow. I've referenced it many times, but I love Brad Paisley's song, If I Could Write a Letter to Me. And he said, boy, if I could write a letter to me. And then he starts thinking of his former self in his younger years. Oh, I'd, I'd tell me, hey, don't worry about this. It works out just fine. And, and don't worry about this. This actually turns out for the good. And be sure you give your aunt an extra hug. And make sure you stop at that intersection at such and such. Because hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But your future self could write a letter to your current self. And would have some profound words of hope to tell you. Because they are, your future self would already be in the new day that has dawned. But right now it's hard to see that. And I encourage you, get through the night. Three things that a new day with Jesus brings. Um, Greg Crescell uh, cited Lamentations chapter 3 verses 24 uh, through... Uh, uh, actually, yeah, 24, 25, and 26 will be the, the meat of what we'll talk about today um, that really goes right along with O Holy Night in such a perfect way. First of all, three things that a new day with Jesus will bring you. Number one, he will bring you exactly what you need. Now, that sounds cliche, and it's easy for me to say, but I want you to know he is exactly what you need. He is the answer to whatever you're going through. You could throw any scenario at me, and I'd say, yes, Jesus is the answer. Hang on. Get through this night. A new day is dawning. You know, they say one day at a time. One day at a time with Jesus. Just get through today, and tomorrow he'll be right there with you. He's already got tomorrow covered. He's infinite. Lamentations 3.24 says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. In Numbers chapter 18, Aaron was denied a portion of the land. That was devastating. Very, very disappointing. Uh, but listen to what the Lord tells Aaron in 18 verse 20 of Numbers. It says, And the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I, he says, I, the Lord, am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. I am your portion. The great I am says, I am your portion. You may not have a, a great amount of land. You may not have great wealth. You may not have prestige and power and authority. But you have the Lord God Almighty. And nothing that you experience in this world, no reward, no achievement, no financial blessing that you could ever receive could be greater than what you already have if you have the Lord Jesus Christ. He is all that you need. God is enough. 
Hope is not a wishful thought, but it's a confident expectation in the Lord. When we hope in something, when our hope is in the Lord, it's not a hope-so kind of hope, but it is a, a patiently waiting for something we're confident that God will be there and he will take care of us. In the song, O Holy Night, there's a very meaningful phrase, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Do you think our world is a weary world? Yeah. I mean, when you watch the news, or I, and I've got to go through my phone at some point, and I've got to alter my settings for my push alerts because it's becoming overwhelming. You know, every day, two or three push alerts uh, of violent acts or uh, horrific things that, that humans are doing to each other. And it's just constantly bombarding us. We are a, a weary world. And I tell you what, if you get away from it long enough and you stand back and you look at our weary world, what you'll see that, that's causing so much of the weariness is that they're looking for answers. How can we be secure enough against all of the threats against us? That is, that is consuming an, an immense amount of our finances and our technology and our wealth. So many training sessions on how can we become more secure because the world around us is becoming more and more violent and less dependable. And no matter where you try to put your hope in an earthly standpoint, everything in earth will let you down, and nothing about it is secure I get excited when I see the stock market start to go up, and especially if I own some of those stocks. I think, oh, this is great. But there's this ebb and flow, right? Every news story, I think, oh, how's that going to affect it today? And sometimes I have a bad habit of checking that way too much (laughs) because the smartphone makes it right there in front of you. And so often a good day follows a bad day on the stock market or in the news. Or anything else, because this world is like an ocean with waves that come in and go out. But God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. In Lamentations 3, 19 through 23, this is what Aaron says as he kind of has a little bit of a pity party and looks at what all he's lost or is not getting. He says, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it, and it is bowed down within me. He's downcast. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Why have hope? Well, because God's love never stops. His mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness is great. And Jeremiah, as he wrote this, this lamentation, it says as long as Jeremiah, you know, he, as long as he is focused on his past and his troubles, he says he was downcast. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Why so bowed down? Well, because he was remembering constantly about his despair. But the moment he focused on God, he became filled with hope. The fact that there was a prophet left to write these words and a remnant of God's people left to read them, there was a sure sign that not all of Jerusalem was defeated. Every new day is an opportunity to discover more about God's love and to get to know him better. Imagine what it would be like if every day when you start your, your, your morning off, you started it off with prayer to God. 
and you, know, you, you don't know what the day has in store for you, but you pray to God and you say, I, Lord, I turn this day over to you and I ask you, please reveal more of yourself to me and what I experience today. The good, the bad, you're all around me. God's always there. He's always present. He doesn't just show up. I mean, I, I have a habit of saying that sometimes. I'll say, well, God really showed up. Well, no, God was already there. <laughs> but he shows up in the sense that we are more aware of his presence. Make me aware of your presence. Show me where I fit into it. Use me to your glory. Help me to give you credit for every great thing in my life. Help me to see how everything that you don't spare me from can be used for your good and help me to shine for you. And it'll blow your mind at the end of the day when you look back over and you remember, oh, this morning, right before I left, right here in the floor of my closet, this is where I, I got on my knees and I prayed to God. And, oh, here's how he answered those prayers. If you're a, a journalist, journal those thoughts. It would be amazing for you to track. Even in the chaos of the night, there's a new and glorious morning. And every time as you move forward and, and you hear the song, O Holy Night, remember that there is a new glorious day dawning. The Israelites were promised food for a day called manna, which simply means what is it? It was a bread-like substance that was falling from the sky. And they were given some rules about it. Eat all you want, help yourself. But never take more than one day's worth. Don't store it up. If you do, it's going to become infested with all kinds of bugs and worms. And it'll be sour. It'll be horrible. But each day, I will give you what you need for the day. Manna from heaven. And on the day before the Sabbath, collect twice as much so you don't have to work on the Sabbath. You can have a day of rest because you've got that next day's food. But all the other days, go to bed without anything in your food bag. Trust me. God's, God's wanting us to trust him for that manna, what it you need for that day, he will provide. Flash way ahead to the so-called Lord's Prayer. And didn't Jesus teach us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Give me for today what I need and I'll be wholly dependent on you for tomorrow, in other words. Always leaning on God for tomorrow the second thing is that hope we get hope to keep going when we realize that uh, a new day with Jesus is just around the corner Lamentations 325 says the Lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him it's been said that people can live 40 days without food. They can live eight days or so without water. They can live four minutes or so without oxygen. But you cannot survive a few seconds without hope. To wait on the Lord means to accept God's will. It doesn't mean you're waiting on him like waiting for somebody to arrive or they're ever going to get here. No, it means patiently trusting in him, in his timing. I've turned it over to him. I don't have it now. Whatever he wants, I'm okay with. That's what it means to wait on the Lord. Hebrews 10.23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Hold unswervingly to the hope that we claim that we have, for he who promised is faithful. Is it hard for you to let go of fear and anxiety? <laughs> I mean, the Bible says, cast all your anxiety on him, knowing that he cares for you. Not 80% of it, you know. Not 50% of it, not some of it, all of it. Man, that's hard for this preacher to do, 
to cast all my anxiety on him, you know what that does? That takes me out of the driver's seat. I don't like that. Uh, most of us guys, and I'm sure a lot of ladies too, we don't like, back before GPS, we didn't like to stop and ask for directions, did we? Why? We're not, we, don't, we, we know where we're going. You know, somebody says, hey, I'll, I'll get lunch. Oh, no, 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 I've got it. I, I, I've got money. I don't need help. It's hard for us to let somebody else take over and help us and provide for us and care for us. But God, our Heavenly Father, He loves our dependency on Him. And it's the hope that we have in Him that keeps us going. It's hard, though, to let go of our fear. But if we profess faith in Christ... Are we living what we say we believe? Is your faith legit? Are you really trusting in him? Verse 22 says, Yet I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Yet I call to mind. Every day you have to cling to that truth. You have to hold on uh, to the, the, the promise of a new day dawning in order to have the thrill of hope. In the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey, his whole perspective changes. You've seen that old classic. It's been around for years and years. But in that movie, when all hope seems to be lost, George Bailey, a husband, a father, his family owned the, you know, the bank and trust there, the loan and trust type business that they had, and it was struggling and it was hurting and some money was missing. He didn't take it, but it looked like he was behind it. He was going to go to prison. He was going to lose everything. And I mean, he had no hope, and he was going to end it all and jump off of a bridge when Clarence the angel saves him from his despair and shows him what life would have been like if he got his wish that he had never been born. I wish I had never been born. And all of a sudden, he gets to see what life would be like had he never been born. And it's horrific. And when suddenly, as if the snap of a finger, suddenly he's back to where he left off. Man, I mean to tell you, he is so happy, right? He's running through the town, and it looks like he's lost his mind. Hello, savings and loan. Hello, this and hello, that. All those things that he was cursing just a few minutes, a few hours prior. Now he's running through the streets, and his whole life is, oh, I'm back to my wonderful life that I love so much. This is great. You know, and he goes home, and he is so happy and so excited. At this point, he doesn't even know that all of his friends are going to take care of him and bail him out of this financial situation and that they're all in it together. All he knows is a new day has dawned for him. And he's got a new perspective and a new look on life. Hope is thrilling. George Bailey wasn't out of his mind. George Bailey was thrilled with hope. He had the thrill of hope because a new day was dawning and all of the problems that he had had not, none of the problems that he had had been worked out they were only worked out after he had come home all thrilled and all excited. And that's an important part. If you watch the movie, It's a Wonderful Life this, this year, I want you to get that. Notice his thrill of hope was not because everybody from town came through dumping all of their cash into a huge GoFundMe pot that he had there in black and white. <laughs> his thrill of hope was the dawning of a new day. One final thing is that, that it gives us the help that we are seeking. Lamentations 3.26 says, It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Not only is God good to those who wait on him, but waiting quietly on him, patiently for him, peacefully for him, is good for us. 
Stress and anxiety are not only harmful for our spiritual health, but they can also damage our physical and our mental health as well. Right? I mean, stress is not good for your heart or your brain <laughs> or, or, or your weight or anything else. Because when we are stressed and when we are anxious, we tend to harm our physical well-being as well. But it is good. He says it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good for you to do it. Romans 13, 11 through 12 says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. <laughs> the, right, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light, Paul says. <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of, are we there yet? No, but we're getting closer. <laughs> You ever, you ever tell your kids that? Are we there yet? No, but we're closer. You are moving closer. For the salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Greg Crescell says, The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. The darkness is nearly over because the sun, S-U-N, will rise again. The darkness is nearly over because the sun, S-O-N, of God will rise again. The darkness is nearly over because the sun will rise again. And you are nearer to your salvation than you were the day before. What a moment in your life. What moment in your life has caused you the worst and darkest despair? Whether you're a teenager, or a young adult, middle-aged person, an older person, if you were to look back over your life and you, you thought about what was the darkest despair, the worst moment of your life, for Jeremiah, it was the destruction of Jerusalem. Lamentations 2 explains that the Israelites' magnificent temple was reduced to ashes. The city walls were pulled down. Almost everyone had been either killed or deported, and only starving elders, women, and children remained. And Jeremiah was crushed. Jeremiah knew the Lord might discipline his wayward people, allow them to be ravaged by their enemies, and even let their temple and law be destroyed. But he would never ultimately forsake his people. And Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know that little baby Messiah? I mean, do you know him? I know you know about him. But do you know him? Because one day with him, knowing that he'll be on the throne tomorrow, it gets you through whatever you're going through today. 1 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11 says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raised the dead, raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and we, he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that, we will that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Our hope is in the Lord. Call it to mind, because the thrill of hope comes in one new day of Christ when we hold on to our hope with everything we have 
till that new day dawns. Pray with me. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you, Lord, for the baby Jesus and what that manger scene represents to us. That thrill of hope that came when Christ was born in the middle of the chaotic night. God, a new day dawned, not just for Joseph and Mary, not just for the shepherds, not for those around the manger or in the inn or in Bethlehem that day, but God, a new day dawned for all of us because you are with us through Jesus. And God, I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that he came in every way just as we are, that we would be able to relate to him, but fully God at the same time. I thank you, God, that he is our Savior. I thank you, God, that he is with us. I thank you for tomorrow. God, whatever tomorrow holds, Lord, we really do know that you're already a part of it and you've got it covered. Thank you for that. We pray in Jesus' name.